today. How are we doing, City Church? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a long time since we've talked, but we've got a lot to talk about tonight. So we've been in this series in recent days called Calm the Chaos. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you're dealing with like addiction chaos or uh, you've got Thanksgiving meal stomach chaos that your stretchy pants couldn't solve, you know. There's all kinds of different chaoses that we're all dealing with. And what we're going to see from the scriptures is that God wants to help us through our chaos to create a beautiful future uh, in our lives. And what we're going to talk about today is how the church can be of help in that. But I think before we talk about how the church can help, that it would be appropriate for us to talk about um, how the church sometimes struggles and is imperfect. You know, I've been a part of churches the majority of my life now. And believe you me, I've seen my fair share of problems and struggles in organized religion or in organized church. And you know, here's the deal. Anytime you get two or three people together, you know what you just did? You just organized something. So whether a group of people has a lot of organization or just a little bit of organization, if you get two or three people together, you organize something. And when you organize something with people, you're going to have problems. You know why? Because people have problems, don't we? And so anytime you get anything together or organized, whether it's organized sports or organized education or organized business, you get people together, you're going to have trouble. But we don't bail out on our sports teams or we don't bail out on education or our businesses when they have problems or struggles or issues. And I need to ask you this question as we begin tonight. Have you ever been hurt by organized religion? Have you ever been hurt by a church? Have you ever been under the leadership of someone, a pastor, a religious leader, who took control in a way that was unhealthy? Have you ever been in an environment where uh, a religious leader had a moral failure or struggled in his own personal life? Well, with that in mind, I want you to bow your heads with me and let's pray together and work through some of this. And as we bow before the Lord, if you at some point in your life have ever been hurt by the church, hurt by organized religion, I want you to just peek up at me real quick. Just peek up at me real quick and I wanna say something to you. Everybody else, keep your heads bowed, but if you've been hurt, I wanna say what a religious leader should say to you if he or she were here right now. I was wrong for hurting you. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong for disappointing you. Will you please forgive me? Will you? Let's go ahead and bow for prayer. And Lord, I pray that as we forgive those that have disappointed us and hurt us, that you would heal us. Father, I thank you for the good work that's being done in this church. And I pray that you would heal and work and move through this service today. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake, everyone said, amen. So if we've acknowledged that church is imperfect, then how should we think about organized 
church? What's the metaphor? And as I was preparing for this service, um, what came to my mind was actually my wife. You know, um, throughout the years of my marriage, when my wife has any type of chaos, whether it's health chaos or stress in her life, I know exactly what to do if she has got chaos in her life. You know what I do? I call her mom, my mother-in-law. And if I can get my wife to her mom, or if I can get her mom to her, here's what's gonna happen. Her mom is gonna put a blanket over her. Her mom is gonna go into the kitchen and make a baked potato, and she's gonna put butter on it and some salt and pepper on top. And my wife is gonna sit there underneath that comforting blankie, and she's gonna eat that comfort food, and all is gonna be good, right? And so what is it for you that comforts you in those hard times? Maybe it's that blanket and a good bowl of fideo or something like that. But look, here's what I want you to see today is that when life is chaotic, the church can be kind of like your mother. Now, I understand that for some of you, the mom metaphor doesn't work because you've had problems with mom in your past. So maybe you need to think about grandmother or aunt or whoever fulfilled the role of mother in your life. And with that person in mind, I want you to think about this one transformative idea today. And it's simply this, when life is chaotic, get home to mom. When life is chaotic, get home to who? Say it with me. Mom, the church. And even though churches have imperfections, the church remains God's chosen instrument to help people calm the chaos in our lives. And we're gonna look at a passage today that's gonna show us some truths about the church as God intended the church to operate. And I wanna take you to Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 18. It says there, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so your best chance at a beautiful future is with a properly functioning local church. And I'm going to show you three truths today from this text. And we're going to dissect these verses um, word by word, phrase by phrase to see these three truths about the local church. And the first one is simply this. Uh, church is a rock with many stones. Church is a rock with many stones. If you look there, he mentions Peter and this rock. So the word for Peter is the Greek Petros with an O-S on the end. And it means like a little stone. And then you also see there Petra with an A, which is an immovable rock, right? So when I say Petros, you say Peter. And when I say Petra, you say immovable rock. Are you ready? Here we go. Petros. Petra. Very good. So Jesus set up his church to operate under the leadership uh, of people that are like these small stones, these little rocks, these leaders. And what God has done for you at City Church is God has uh, raised up a group 
of great leaders for you. I brought a picture of them today. It includes Michelle Jack and John Pyle and Lee Wong and John Whitty. And then pictured to the side is Clayton Tyner because he was in the hospital when the picture uh, was taken. But here's what I want to ask you to do for me today is that if you will pray for these leaders, if you will support these leaders, I want you to put your fist in the air like you just don't care right now. And if you respect these leaders, and if you will love these leaders, keep your fists in the air. And not only are you supporting them in prayer and with your attendance here and with your generosity here, but you're supporting the group of people that are behind him who are serving and loving children and students and working in recovery and working in spiritual formation all throughout this church and community. Thank you guys for that fist. You can put those down right now, all right, on? Yeah. So when we as Small stones partner together under the leadership first of Jesus and then the leaders that he's put in our local congregations. You know what we become? We become a Petra, an immovable stone, a solid place standing next to Jesus as he welcomes those who are going through chaos in their lives. In fact, we could rightly say, biblically say, we could say, we rock. So what I want you to do is turn to someone next to you and tell them, you rock. Yeah, you rock. Some lady just said, yeah, I might rock, but you can't have my phone number, buddy, you know? <laughs> so the place where Jesus made this declaration is also very significant. It was a place called Caesarea Philippi. And I brought a picture of Caesarea Philippi for you today. Um, he took his young Jewish disciples to this place. And you can see there, uh, there's a cliff face in the picture. And you can see a cave there. And the ancients believed that the gods, the Greek gods, would fly in and out of that cave to the underworld and out to our reality. And they called that cave the Gates of Hell or the Gates of of Hades. And then on the cliff face, there were pictures and inscriptions of Pan. Perhaps you remember Pan from school. He was the God who was half goat and half man. And he was known for his sexual prowess. And so basically what you had on this cliff face was Pan porn. And pan worshipers would stand down beneath this cliff. They would look at those pictures of pan and they would engage in all sorts of lewd sexual acts. And so I believe part of what Jesus is saying here in this text is that on this rock, even this pan rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm gonna build my church with some people who have had some problems. I'm gonna build my church on those ladies who sometimes wear clear heels and get paid in $1 bills. And I'm gonna build my church on some men who've looked at porn, but I'm not gonna leave them that way. I'm gonna transform them and I'm gonna change them to create this solid Petra immovable rock so that others who have been engaged in these behaviors can be changed by the power 
of the gospel. But look at the next truth regarding the church, and that is that the church is designed by Jesus, the master builder. He says, I will build my church. There's no man that builds the church of the living God. It is Jesus himself who is in the process of building his church, and there's this uh, word for a carpenter or a builder like Jesus was in that day. In the Greek, it's the tecton. It's like this broad-skilled artisan. And so Jesus no doubt worked with wood, but he also worked with stones or uh, with rock, and he would chisel away at that rock to create and form and fashion buildings and structures creatively. You ever feel like Jesus is chiseling away at you? You're going through a chaos period and it just feels like you've got the chisel up against you, up against your heart. He's forming and fashioning you to make you into something beautiful. And you know, Peter was a guy who certainly had his many experiences of God's chiseling in his life. In fact, he would later write down what he learned about the church. Look at 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, and you, church are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Isn't that cool? You're a holy priest. Turn to someone next to you and tell them you're a holy priest. There you go. Good, you're not a holy pain, you're a holy priest, you know? So a good builder knows how to form and fashion, create, and also to change. And that's the thing about Jesus and his church is he's constantly adapting. You know, downtown, uh, we're in the process of renovating the old Cameo Theater down there. And our builder has changed many times just in the design phase of the renovations that we're doing down there. And certainly that's true of Jesus and the way he builds his church is the church adapts and change over the years. And a few years ago, I read a book called The Great Emergence that explains the changes in the church that happen roughly every 500 years. The people of God who are expressing the kingdom of God on the earth go through a change. They get rid of some old habits and they form new habits and change the way that they express the kingdom of God on earth roughly every 500 years. I'm gonna go back to 1007 BC when the people of God were expressed under what's called the Davidic kingdom, that is, they were organized underneath an earthly king. And then roughly 500 years later, you would see the change in 586 to the Babylonian captivity, where the people of God had to learn to express the kingdom of God as they were deported to a foreign land, to Babylon, uh, where they had to live under the oppression of the Babylonians. And then roughly 500 years later was a huge change. That's when Jesus came onto the scene and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He created, he rose again from the dead and created the ecclesia or the called out ones or the church of the living God. And then roughly 500 years after that, you see the rise of Gregory and monasticism. So the the rise of the monks, you know, they they wore those Jedi robes and all of that. And then you have in uh, roughly 500 years later in 1054, the East-West Schism, so that Christianity was no longer just an Eastern spirituality, but also moved to the West. And then you see the Protestant Reformation roughly 500 years after that, where everybody didn't have to be a Catholic anymore, and it was the rise of the Protestants. And then we're sitting right now in the midst of the next 500-year change. 
And some of you have come to church here and you're like, wow, this is a weird church. I hadn't been to church in a long time. The music's different from the church that I grew up in. Uh, it's casual and man, people look different. It's all kind of different people, right? People from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs. Man, there's white collar people, blue collar people. Some people wearing dog collars in here. What's the deal, you know? Uh, all kinds of different people. And you know, the church adapts and changes. It doesn't matter if it's just a few people in a little house church like it is in China where the house church is underground in persecution. It doesn't matter if the church meets in a bar, right? Like our, our city church west over at the 151 saloon. This church started in a school. Um, some churches are gonna meet in big cathedrals or coffee shops and even an old theater, right? So we haven't talked in a while. Let me tell you, do you know that City Church, we bought the old Cameo Theater downtown last year, right? And we got it because our people walked around it and prayed. We circled it in prayer. And you know what happened? The theater never even went on the market. The owner wanted to sell to us and he sold us the theater for $100,000 below the appraised value. You know, how, you know what that number is? We, we bought two buildings down there in prime hot downtown real estate for $850,000. Now check this out. Recently, we had to get a loan to renovate the theater and our buildings down there because they're in pretty sad shape. So we gotta renovate, right? Just like our own hearts and lives, right? We need renovating. Uh, so our bank that we're getting a loan from, they appraised, they reappraised our property. You know what it's worth now? $2,058,000. Yeah, right on. So the gates of hell will not prevail against our appraisal, dude. And I told the downtowners, dude, let's sell it, right? <laughs> Flip that church, you know? Uh, but I think we're going to hang on to it for a while. But look, no matter how the church expresses itself on the earth, it's going to have problems. If you have three people in a house church, or thousands of people in a large church, you're gonna have problems. In fact, that's why we have the Bible today, because of a bunch of churches that were jacked up that the apostles had to write to to straighten them out. That's why we have the New Testament. In fact, you see Paul, who understood full well how jacked up churches were, yet he was willing to suffer for the church. Let me take you to Colossians chapter one, verse 24. And Paul says there, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. The what? The church. And even though Paul was honest about the faults of the churches, his heart was motivated with love for her. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 through 27, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the what? Church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. So as you're thinking about the way Jesus views this church, I wanted to tell you something that happened to me uh, 
some time back at our downtown church. I was standing down in front of the stage after the services, and this man started making a beeline for me, and I thought, oh no, what's he want to talk about, right? But this guy approaches me, and he says, hey, Pastor Doug, your sermons are the most intellectually stimulating and inspiring sermons I've ever heard in my life. And I said, sir, I sense you are a man of great discernment. Tell me more. I think you have a word from God for me today. And then he proceeded to tell me, but your wife is a detriment to your ministry. And I think that you would go a lot further without her being involved. This is the love of my life. I've been with my lady, my fine, hot Christian lady for 28 years. We don't talk about my lady. Now, I got to make a confession to you. I totally made that story up. And I think you knew that when I said the man thought that my sermons were good. And furthermore, you would know it when anyone would talk trash about my wife because everybody knows my wife is a jewel. But you know the reason that I told you that story is I want to give you just a small glimpse into how Jesus feels when people talk trash about his church. The church is Jesus' wife that he loves, that he gave himself for on the cross. And missiologist and spooky smart genius man Ed Stetzer said, you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. And look, one man's wife is another man's mom. Men, how does it make you feel when someone talks about your mom? Now look, I know my earthly mom has troubles sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes she asks me to help her with her computer, you know? (laughs) People in their 80s should not have technology, you know what I'm saying? It can be very frustrating. You know what's making it worse right now? My mom got a smartphone. She's texting me. It's freaking me out. I'm getting texts from my mom. And here's where it got really bad. My mom is on Facebook right now. Every day of my life, I live in fear of what she's gonna post next or the comments that she's gonna make. I'm just like, block her, block the woman. It doesn't matter how imperfect our mothers are, men, ladies. We, we don't like people to talk about our mom. I would agree with the great Catholic church leader, Cyprian of Carthage, who rightly said, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church for your mother. And look, our mother is taking a beating these days. She's taking a lot of hits, isn't she? But don't worry about our mom, because let me show you the third idea, this, the third truth about the church, and it's simply this. The church prevails. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. And when functioning properly, the local church is the most valuable communal tribe you can be a part of. Now, for years, all of the leaders at this church have learned from a pastor and best-selling author named Bill Hybels. And Hybels for years, as he's uh, led thousands and thousands of church leaders and business leaders, he's even been mentor to U.S. presidents. He says that when functioning properly, the local church is the hope of the world. 
Back in the mid-2000s, Bill Hybels was leading his Global Leadership Summit that simulcasts all over the world to hundreds of thousands of business and church leaders. And at that conference, he interviewed U2's frontman, Bono. And in that interview, Bono talked a lot of trash about the church and he challenged the church and he called the church out to be engaged in social justice and uh, to be involved in uh, the HIV AIDS pandemic in Africa. Well, the church stepped up. A couple of years later, Hybels invited Bono back to the leadership summit to see what he would say about the church now. And go ahead and take a look at what Bono had to say about the church. As a person who's really enjoyed giving off about the church, you have completely ruined it for me because the church has done incredible things. I'm utterly taken aback. Um, I think we referred to it as the sleeping giant, but I didn't know the giant could run that fast. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that had the church not woken up on the issue of AIDS, that uh, we would not have two million um, uh, Africans on antiretroviral drugs. That simply would not have happened. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? All that happened because of our spiritual mother, the church. But let me tell you about what our spiritual mother here at Bandera Road City Church has done in recent days. Did you know that 765 people have come to faith in Christ and been baptized this year because of our mom, the church? Check this out. Did you know that orphans in Mexico and Moldova are getting care and help because of our mom, this church, City Church Bandera Road? Did you know that people in Africa are getting water wells in Liberia, Africa, and they're getting microloans and education and healthcare because of our mom, the church? Did you know that the San Antonio Food Bank is getting thousands of pounds of food every Easter because of our spiritual mother, the church. And look, even when people gossip about her, even when people get online and post all their lame passive aggressive comments about her, even when demons attack her, our mother will prevail. She will prevail. And let me tell you, let me tell you why I get amped up about this. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. Okay. About 16 years ago, my life was in chaos. Some of you don't know me. I got fired from this church 16 years ago because of my own sins. My marriage was in chaos. I was self-deceived. And you know what I decided to do? Even though I was tempted to go to all my pain-numbing behaviors and run as far as I could from my mom, the church, I decided to come home to my spiritual mother right here. I walked through these doors of this city church and I expected some stones to get thrown. I didn't get stones. You know what I got? A warm blanket and a baked potato, man. I got loved here. And my life before could be characterized by self-deception and addiction, confusion and lust and a jacked up marriage. 
And God flipped the script on me and used this church to clear my mind and purify my heart and restore my marriage and restore my ministry. And look, this church is not done being used of God to draw broken, jacked up people like me to be restored and served and loved. Is anybody on board with that? Yeah, thank you. And you know, it could be that God brought some of you here just like he brought me here those many years ago to do something significant in your life. And so with that in mind, would you guys join me in another brief word of prayer? And Holy Spirit, we just wanna say welcome here, welcome to move and work in this room, in the video cafe, and people who are watching online right now. And perhaps something is stirring in your heart and you don't quite understand it, but that's the movement of the Spirit of God drawing you to love relationship with Christ. And his church is waiting here for you with a blanket to help calm the chaos in your life. And the reason that we can do that is because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And if you could receive that message right now, in these moments, I want you to just pray, just between you and God, something like this. God, the best I know how, I confess to you that I've sinned. That's not news to me. <laughs> I know I've screwed up royally, but the best I know how, I choose to believe that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And so God, I welcome you into my life. Father, I thank you for those who just prayed that and began an eternal relationship with you. And for the rest of us that know you, Jesus, we're gonna turn up the intensity of our feelings for your church, for our church, she is our mother. She is your bride. And we love her in all her imperfections. And we thank you for her. And God, I pray that you continue to work and move in this awesome local church, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think throughout all the generations forever and ever. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everyone said, amen.